Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mike Check on Sports. I'm Steve Napolitani. I can't believe this is my 30th episode. It's been a lot of hard work, but a ton of fun. I hope you've enjoyed their stories as much as I have. From junior hockey to the NHL, from New York City to the U.S. national team, from Long Island to the NBA. Each person's story is unique and all came with hard work and determination. I hope everyone will appreciate their voices a little more the next time you hear them on TV or radio. My next guest is a former ice hockey player. She was the first full-time U.S. female sports anchor on a national radio network, and she has hosted more sports centers than any other person in the history of ESPN. It's the great Linda Cohn. Linda, how are you? Steve, thanks for having me. I'm doing great considering what we're all dealing with, of course, at this time. Yeah, with no sports going on right now, how have you been occupying your time? Uh, you know, uh, probably wishing and hoping for sports. <laughs> That's how I could occupy my time. Catching up on old TV shows that I never saw when I was having two children. And, uh, you know, basically hanging out with my dog in Southern California, which is where I live now. So, you know, uh, we, we all expect, we're all hoping, I don't want to be doom and gloom, but we're all hoping like by the end of the end of July, our major sports are coming back. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously players heading to where they have to be, uh, especially in Orlando with the NBA, they're heading there next week or the week after that. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, it's, it's sadly, it's, it's what we what we have been dealt. It's all new territory for these sports commissioners. Um, but kudos to all of them. They're trying to keep their players safe mm -hmm. while still trying to make money uh, and satisfy their owners. So we have to, you know, respect what kind of position the commissioners are in. And but they're not going to be foolish if if there's something that they cannot control, which is you know, uh, player after player testing positive once camps are open once. Uh, um, you know, restarts happen in the NBA and NHL, for example, and MLB, you know, they're going to uh, think twice mm -hmm. about continuing. Right. And you, you grew up on Long Island. How did sports become such a big part of your life? Um, you know, my dad, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not cliche. My dad was uh, no longer with us, but he is amazing sports fan, New York, you know, born in New York. I was born in New York. Um, you know, I was a I was a kid. Uh, even though I had a brother and si two sisters, I was the one that really gravitated towards sitting on the couch with my dad, watching sports, mm. going to games, uh, all of it. Uh, you know, even traveling on two hours on the Long Island Railroad, <laughs> which isn't a treat. You know, back then because we lived that way east on Long Island. Uh, so to get to New York City to watch a game or to get to the ballpark, you know, whether in the Bronx or in Queens, it, it was a pain in the butt. But we still did it. And, and I needed that because I had very low self-esteem as a kid. I really felt like I didn't have anything to look forward to. I know that sounds crazy, but um, I was that kid. I mean, I, had, I was wearing, you know, thick uh, glasses at the time, didn't feel good about anything. And you know, uh, didn't have a lot of friends. So I really looked forward to spending that time with my dad. And if my dad was working, then I still would watch and listen to the games on the radio. Uh, and I really just got attached to it. It, it. Basically, Steve, it just gave me something to look forward to. Hmm. And you grew up and you ended up playing ice hockey. How did that kind of unfold? And you were on an all boys team in high school. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Um, I, 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 of all this, I actually, the first sport I loved was uh, basketball, the hmm. NBA, and then I loved the NFL. And then finally, 
you know, growing up on Long Island at that time, you know, the Islanders uh, were very, uh, you know, successful later on in the early 80s. But when I discovered hockey, it was in the, you know, mid-70s, and the Islanders have had just started out. And they actually, ironically, even though I'm known to be and still am a very passionate Rangers fan, I grew up uh, for the first couple of years I was an Islander fan until mm. I realized, who is this team, Dad, in the playoffs? Uh, it isn't the Islanders. You know, I was younger, and, I, and it's the Rangers. And I started watching the Rangers in, in the playoffs, right? So, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God, this is amazing. Uh, this is so exciting. Obviously, we all know anyone's a hockey fan who listens to you, knows the Stanley Cup playoffs, I feel, uh, the most exciting postseason uh, that we have. Uh, so uh, I just gravitated to it, and I gravitated to being a goaltender uh, simply because, you know, I started to wear contact lenses in my preteens, and I was able to see, which is a good sign, good, good quality for a goaltender. But I love the fact that, you know, everything, the goalie was the most, for me, I feel the most important position uh, in hockey and perhaps in all of sports where you could be the hero and you can also take a chance and be the goat. And mm-hmm. I mean goat, not in like Tom Brady. I right. mean goat like how it used to be used. And so um, I like that challenge. And I was good at being a goalie, so I started playing street hockey with the boys in my neighborhood, and that really helped. And then I never knew how to skate until I learned to skate with goalie equipment on, oh. literally. I never skated before <clears throat> putting on 35 to 40 pounds of goalie equipment, but oh. I wanted to play that position so uh, so well and so much. And, and then I made the hockey team in high school as a senior. I tried out when I was a junior. I, I, didn't, I knew I wasn't ready, but I sort of wanted to open the coach's eyes that, mm-hmm. hey, here I am. And then the following year, I made it. I was the backup goalie. I started eight, eight of the 30 games and did a lot of mop-up duty. But that was better than the senior prom for me, considering I didn't even go to the senior prom. So, uh, <laughs> so it was uh, – so and that helped me really prepare myself do uh, um, what I do now and what I have done in this career that I built uh, because I had to block out the noise and block out the critics and because being a you know woman in a man's field that's mm-hmm. what you have to do and back especially back in the day now that now you can't now it's a little more protective for very talented women young women that are in this business but mm-hmm. back when I was starting out there was no bubble there was no protection you really had to block out any criticism that was you know for no reason. And when I'm talking about criticism, I'm not talking constructive criticism right. that you got and I got from my bosses. I'm talking about pre-social media people that just didn't want a woman telling you who won the game. Right. Hmm. And was sportscasting always the career plan that you wanted to get into? Um, you know, honestly, Steve, I mean, we all can't live our dreams. I always had plan B and C and D. I knew I wanted to stay in sports. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. If it wasn't, um, you know, I started out in radio and then I tried TV. And if the TV wasn't going to make it, I was going to go back to radio, which, oh, by the way, is not a bad thing. I love radio. I still do it. And it's more challenging than TV because you just have to know what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. articulate and, you know, ad lib more. Mm -hmm. So um, so if that didn't work out, then I was like, okay, maybe I'll be a PR person Mm -hmm. for a sports team. So I always knew. I needed to be around sports and be connected to it because I felt that was what I was best at. And in 1981, you're a sports anchor for radio on WALK on Long Island. You were there for four years. What did you learn from that early experience? <clears throat> yeah, thank goodness for Frank Branca. He was the news director. He actually hired me to do news. And that's the thing. 
when I tell young people all, all the time when I do speaking engagements or, um, you know, when I used to do it before the COVID thing, but mm-hmm. we're trying to figure out how to do that <laughs> on Zoom. But um, is the fact that sometimes you don't get your dream job right away. And I knew to get experience and get something on the resume, I had to take this news anchor job with a Long Island radio station, which, by the way, was a 50,000 water. Hmm. And um, why this was important to me and why Frank Brinka was important to me, the news director, was because uh, he really honed my skills. I I made a lot of mistakes on the radio. I mean, I'm a grammaticalist mistake, stuff mm-hmm. that I'll never forget. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he helped me through that. And then after like a year of doing news updates, I basically said to him, hey, I will... Uh, cover the New York Islanders for us. I'm going to drive an hour each way to the Nassau Coliseum. And um, if you pay for my gas mm-hmm. and I won't even, that's it. I'll do it for free. And I knew that was really the key because I had to start creating my breaks. And that was the big break because then I, that was the first big break because then I started meeting people in the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Ingalls, the late, great Ed Ingalls, who was the news direct, sports director for WCBS AM in New York City which, again, pre-sports talk radio, and uh, he hired me to do sports updates, which ran overnight on the weekends. And then also I covered, like, you know, Mets, some Mets baseball games, some U.S. Open, uh, and it was, it was fantastic. But I never would have met Ed if it wasn't for me creating that opportunity and mm-hmm. Frank Brinka checkmarking it that I, me on my own can cover the New York Islanders, which, oh, by the way, being a Rangers fan at the time <laughs> was very difficult because I had to block out my, you know, in the bloodlines hatred uh, as my dad always hated the Islanders, uh, you know, for what they did to the Rangers and some of the biggest series back before they won the cup in 94, you know. So, uh, yeah, a lot of, that's what I always say. You really have to not give up. You really have to make your breaks. At least you can look back and say, you know what? I really try to do, take many roads to try to get to my goal and not get discouraged. Right. And then you were the first female, full-time female sports anchor on a national radio network. How big was that for you? You know, I wasn't thinking about these milestones at the time. I was right. just thinking, you know, getting on the treadmill of <clears throat> let's go to the next step. Let's try to do this. Let's get some, you know, other listeners that could hear me that a woman can do this and that's what I was thinking but all along I just wanted you know I love the job so at that time it was great for ABC Radio Network and another man that gave me an opportunity because there were no women in these hiring roles Mm -hmm. it was men and um, Shelby Whitfield and he gave me the opportunity and hired me uh, to do updates on ABC Radio Network, which is heard with across the country, and also uh, able to go to cover two Olympics. Who would have thought? I mean, I never thought, and this was, again, the late 80s, Calgary and Seoul, South Korea, that I'd be able to cover the Olympics. And so, so the, the big point here is, like, um, men in hiring positions in my career, when no one were taking chances, saw something in me mm. and hired me, and I will always be internally grateful for those men. Mm. And in 1992, you get hired by ESPN. Did you feel like you had made it at that point? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know because, you know, you never know when you start a new job. You know you have to keep proving yourself. Right. And that's what I knew I had to do. And that was the biggest test because, you know, in 1992, I mean, again, that Robin Roberts was there. Um, uh, I came after Gail Gardner. Mm-hmm. Uh so, I mean, it was great that Robin was there 
there were some other women that came and went, but Robin was still there when I was there and she was wonderful and uh, welcoming, but there, you know, the, the viewers still had a hard time of someone like me because I was on sports center, you know, five nights a week working with some of the greats, Chris Myers, the late Tom Mees, and was getting a lot of eyeballs and, you know, um, I always had to prove myself and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't, I never felt like, oh, wow, I can just rest on my laurels now. I made it to ESPN, the worldwide leader. I just always felt I had to win people over. That was what my, you know, it's sort of like, the, I, you know, not that I'm comparing myself to Tom Brady, but my point is he, he was such, you know, he was picked so late in the draft mm-hmm. and he's always had this chip on his shoulder mm-hmm. and he's kept it there, even though he's the greatest of all time. I feel that way as well, meaning I always had to prove to people I belonged, no mm. matter, you know, and, and, you, and, I, and that's always has driven me, even to this day, uh, who maybe don't know my work or who are watching me for the very first time or listening to me on the radio for the very first time. Mm-hmm. I always feel like, hey, maybe they don't know, so let me tell them, you know, and show how passionate I am. Right, and you've done it all at ESPN, Sports Center, Baseball Tonight, NHL Tonight, football coverage, golf. Is there one particular area you enjoy more than any other? Well, I really, um, you know, it, it's fun to do highlights for Sports Center. That's always been my strength, um, just having fun, not having any, court, you know, not many. A few times I dabbled with catchphrases, uh, maybe a little peer pressure to do that, but mm-hmm. I always felt that, um, you know, not becoming repetitive was never me. I just, I was, I'm very reactive. Mm-hmm. So if I saw something, I would come up with something original and not just a phrase, but just, you know, a statement or, you know, something that if I was talking to you at a bar or in a restaurant or wherever, and I, and we were watching the same piece of video, I'd be like, can you believe this? Or, well, you know, just sort of like that New York girl mm-hmm. would come out. <laughs> and that's what I was able to, and how to able to connect to viewers because you know, when I hear the comments from people that have watched me for so many years, they would always say, you know what, you really came across and you still do like, you're just having fun and you're like one of us. And I, the, one of the best compliments when I was coming up through the ranks and I'll always remember it was a guy, you know, this was when I first started ESPN, not someone who worked there, but just someone I had met. And he just said, you know, I don't, he always would say, don't take this the wrong way. And that was how it started. And then they proceeded to say, you know, I never talk, you know, I never talk sports or I never liked getting my sports from a woman until you came along. Hmm. And I said, are you kidding me? I go, I'm not offended by that. That's the best compliment I could get. Right. And, you know, like you said, you don't want to sound, you want to sound polished, but you don't want to sound rehearsed. And I think you do a good job of splitting that difference. Well, thanks. After all these years on the East Coast, you're now on the West Coast. Was that something that you jumped at the opportunity to do, or was it a difficult transition for you? No, I wanted it. I've been wanting it for years. Um, uh, you know, I always love New York. That's where I was born. Um, but working in Bristol, Connecticut is not working in New York City. <laughs> so, I mean, perhaps you know that. Um, so, um, I just, you know, as you get older, you just, you know, you get tired of the weather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm being right. honest with you. And, um, I, you know, I have some family out here for years and I just wanted to come out here and see how the other half lives. And so far I love it. And uh, right, right now when I'm talking to you, I'm sitting on the beach talking nice. to you right now. 
So uh, before they close it, by the way. So I have to, you know, take <laughs> take advantage again. of the time. But right again, by the way, closing <laughs> it again. Um, but we won't get into that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's fabulous and it's interesting because you know, sure, there are a lot of East Coasters that live here in Los Angeles, but um, it's truly amazing to see the differences in passion uh, for the teams out here compared to you know New Yorkers mm-hmm. who you know like myself who you know live and die. With our teams, I mean, I was out here when the Rams were in the Super Bowl, and you know, it's not wasn't as big as the Lakers doing anything, or wasn't as big as, of course, as the Dodgers. Right. Dodgers are a big deal out here, and of course, the Lakers, and just because of the pedigree on the Lakers, and you know, the late great Kobe Bryant. I mean, there's such passion there for the Lakers. There, I mean, I think, I think fans here are still kind of warming up to LeBron. He's just not the same kind of personality and mm-hmm. everyone's different. But um, so there's a difference there if you're looking for a difference. Uh, you know, there's nothing like the fandom that is from New York, for sure. And I know you're a big Rangers fan, as you've talked about. You had the opportunity to host some Rangers pre-intermissions and post-games on the radio. How enjoyable of an experience was that for you? I loved it. That was, to me, uh, great. Uh, you know, I did about, I can't even remember how many games I've but so for, for for probably three years, I did about 30 hosting assignments each, uh, maybe 25 to 30 hosting assignments and uh, pre and post game. It was great. First of all, I talked to so many legends that were my guests in between periods. Second of all, I'm looking out and I'm, I'm in Madison Square Garden, hmm. you know, the the palace to me. The You know, this is what I, I love. And I didn't mind driving in the late you know, in traffic there from Connecticut and on the way home in the, you know, in the deep of the night to get home to Connecticut to do these games, to have these opportunities, to be at the game, uh, to work side by side with like legend like Dave Maloney, former Ranger captain, who will always be a captain of the Rangers. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it was great. And then I'll never, probably my most memorable was um, a very disappointing hosting that I did was, when I paid on my own dime and for my own ticket, when the Rangers uh, went in game five, uh, 2014, mm. facing the LA Kings, and I happened to, I wanted to be there, you know, mm-hmm. either way. I wanted to be there, and I, like I said, it was my own, paid out of my own pocket, all this stuff to be there. And then uh, MSG Radio Network said, oh, we heard you're there. Would you mind doing the post game on the radio? Mm. Um after they lost the cup. So yeah. I was sitting there up at Staples Center in the radio booth watching the Kings endlessly parade around with the Stanley Cup while my brother and my boyfriend at the time were waiting down below for me to get the show done so they can, you know, commiserate. Right. And uh, it was, you know, I was therapy. I felt like I was a head psychiatrist uh, mm-hmm. for all Ranger fans, including myself. And to me, that was, for the wrong reasons, the most memorable uh, post-game radio edition I did uh, for the Rangers and MSG Radio Network when I had to, you know, talk everyone off the ledge um, mm-hmm. after <laughs> the Rangers <laughs> lost in five to the Kings and then actually watching them parade around the Stanley Cup. Oh. And of all the assignments you had, do you ever look back on one and and have that's considered a special moment for you? Well, here's the thing. I always say this. The best assignments are the best sports moments I've ever experienced uh, happened when I was just a fan, Hmm. when I wasn't working it. When you're working it, you can't pay attention to it. You can't sit there 
and you know, you're busy. Okay, when am I on? Okay, I got to do this. You're not even looking at the at what's going on in the field because you're preparing your copy for your next report or what you're going to say or blah blah blah. You're or and sometimes sometimes you're not. Uh, you, you're in a little. Um, you're, you're far away from the field, you're, and you're watching a game on a monitor, right. you know, type of thing, or far away from an ice surface. And so, when I the greatest events I've been to was, you know, of course, 1994 Game Seven when the Rangers won the cup, I was in that building. And the two recent uh, or the latest Giants Super Bowl wins when they beat the Patriots twice, mm-hmm. I was there as a fan for both. Uh, you know, which well, amazing for me because I am like. Uh, you know, I love Eli Manning forever. He's, mm-hmm. to me, the greatest uh, Giants quarterback that ever lived. I just, uh, you know, I've always kid around. I'm president of his fan club. <laughs> and so I was there for that, those both games. And uh, so that's when I always look back and think about it. Uh, it's really not stuff I had did when I was working. It's mm-hmm. more, um, the uh, you know, the some interviews I did while I was working, you know, to me are, you know, are, are really cool when I, was able to get Yarmer Yager alone uh, in a sit-down when he had that great comeback with the Florida Panthers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, that was tremendous. And and, they, and the opportunity when I tried out for the Florida Panthers as for it to be an emergency goalie. Mm. They had a fun contest. And anyone can look on YouTube and just put in, you know, Linda Cohn and Florida Panthers goalie. Oh, that's thing. awesome. And you could see, and I did. Yeah, and, and that was fun. So not to say there weren't memorable uh, moments and stories while i've been at espn there have been but for me as a fan first it's always going to be the stuff that i can go rah 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 and be a fan and not you know be carrying around a a microphone type of thing and worry about being super objective in 2008 you released your memoir conehead a no holds barred account of breaking into the boys club you've been breaking in the boys club since you were playing ice hockey in high school why do you think you've been so successful breaking into the quote-unquote club yeah, um, you know, and thanks for mentioning that. I think you can still get that for like two bucks on Amazon <laughs> um, at this point. But, um, you know, um, I just feel like the reason why is because I just felt I could, uh, the connection I had with fans. Because mm-hmm. I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a fan first. And that's when, how I got into this business. It wasn't going to be, I'm going to turn into someone that has an anchor voice. I'm going to turn into someone that is just, you know, um, predictable because that's not part of my personality. So I feel that I've been able to have this longevity because I was also able to adapt and change if I had to, but also stay true to myself, which was being genuine. Uh, And it's not me bragging. It's Mm -hmm. just fact. I'm genuine. And uh, at times that has gotten me in trouble. At times that has held me back from making a lot of money and loyalty has kept me from making a lot of money and going elsewhere. I stay true and loyal to ESPN. I was raising two children Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to move them around. And that was important to me. And I don't regret that uh, looking back. Um, So that's why I think uh, people and viewers connected with me and still do for so long. And how far do you think we've come in leveling the playing field for women in sports or sports and television? Uh, I think uh, obviously it's their light years for the positive since when I broke in back in the day in the 80s. And even when I started ESPN in 1992, so much improvement. Um, I think we still need women in major hiring roles, but in management. Mm -hmm. But uh, I look around, I see so many talented young women that have gotten their opportunity to shine. And I'm just really proud of all of them. Um, What I also like is the fact that, um, 
you know, even if some of some women who are just in it to, you know, not for their sports passion, but are just in it to get on TV mm-hmm. or on the radio um, and they have other goals, um, they are exposed, you know, because the sports fan is smarter than any any viewer out there, mm-hmm. I think. I really do. They can pick a phony. So I love the fact that so many incredible, intelligent, passionate women have uh, risen to the occasion and really showed that they know what they're talking about. So I'm always about quality, not quantity, mm-hmm. even when it comes to, you know, hiring practices. And I think they're, you know, I think after a couple of swings and misses, I think those who are in hiring positions uh, are in a great trend and it's trending upward. And before I wrap you up, do you have a favorite sports center commercial that you were part of? I mean, everybody loves those things. Yeah, I know. And that really helped really skyrocket sports center because they're showing off personality and athletes love it. You know, it's hard to pick just one. It's funny. I mean, I obviously I'll pick, you know, one old one and one recent one. The old one is when, right after the Rangers won the Stanley Cup, something I never think I would see in my lifetime, 1994. And I was able to do a, about three commercials with Mike Richter, hmm. uh, Rangers franchise goalie, you know, pre-Henrik Lundqvist. And I did do a couple of fun commercials with Henrik Lundqvist, which was great. So you would think, you know, this Ranger fan goalie as well, right. getting new commercials with two Ranger goalies are great. And those are the most memorable. But uh, two others that are most memorable is when my daughter got to be in one of them when Evander Holyfield was running a daycare. Oh, that's and cool. She was, she was jumping on a bouncy ball <laughs> in the background, and she was about, you know, six years old or seven years old, so that's cool. And then another one was, um, I was the funny part, the most ironic, the one that I love, I wasn't even in it because uh, Kenny Main was the voice in it. And it was just about uh, Manny Machado. Ironic, coincidentally, it was another daycare. Manny Machado <laughs> was sitting and not really paying attention, supposed to be running this daycare. And there was this uh, young actress, might have been 10 years old, and who was whining and complaining. And then the, she had the punchline, and she was just saying, I want to meet Linda Cone. Oh, like that, you know, and, and that, to me, that's like my favorite, and I wasn't even in it, so it's a great one. People should look it up on YouTube. Uh, and I also love the one with the Swedish chef where you just come in at the end yes. with Henrik Lundqvist. That, that's great. I love it. And, uh, you know, and, behind, and I'll tell you behind the scenes story that when he came, when he was, of course, wonderful, uh, to Bristol, Connecticut to do these commercials, he, no one told him, he, I mean, he brought this stuff, but no one told him, I, I don't think he had it at first. He brought tons of suits, hmm. you know, right. amazing, you know how well-dressed he is right. and GQ is. He thought he wasn't going to have to wear his goalie equipment. And then someone told him once he got there, oh, no, you have to do these spots in your goalie equipment. And you could tell he was a little disappointed because he wanted to show off how good he looks in those suits. So I thought that was kind of funny and uh you know, typical Hank. Right. Well, Linda, I appreciate your time and I wish you continued success. Always a fan. And, uh, thank you very much for joining me, Steve. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. Thank you. There's no doubt. Linda is part of the Mount Rushmore of ESPN. After 28 years, she continues to be a mainstay across all of ESPN's platforms with no signs of slowing down in sight. Stay tuned for the next episode of Mike check on sports. Take care. Brush your hair.